Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, July 11th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are on page 44. We are beginning chapter 4 today, We Agnostics. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, July 10th, is 4780. That's 4780. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Diane to please read the 12 steps. Press star one to unmute, Diane. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, Diane. Oh, good. Diane, this is Diane, compulsive overeater from New Hampshire. Oh. Go ahead. I, I'm, I am here. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to process these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane. I'd now like to ask Meg to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Meg O. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont on this rainy morning. <laughs> The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name but never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Meg. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, and we are in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, on page 44. And today I would like to ask Penny C. to begin. Press star 1 to unmute, Penny. Katie, are you there? Could you start? Yes, I'm here. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And, you know, this is just uh, reiterating what we have been saying over and over and over in the, um, in the preceding chapter that, you know, this isn't a diet club. This isn't, uh, you know, I need to lose weight and once I lose weight, I'm out of here. Group. That is not what this is about. This is about a psychic change that um, is only possible through a spiritual experience. And, you know, if you are not sure if this is 
is what you need and this is what you are, then try some controlled eating. And, um, you know, this says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. And entirely doesn't mean for a period of time. It means you have a change of mind about how you view uh, food for us. Um, And that is the change for me today, that I am not obsessed with food, dieting, and weight. I'm not obsessed with making the meals that I do get to have perfect and beautiful and delicious and yummy. And right now, I, uh, you know, I, I enjoy my food, but it's not the focal point of my life or my day or my existence. It is neutral. And I could not anymore have created that for myself than I could, you know, rewire my house. I mean, and actually I could rewire my house with the proper education. So that's not even a good um, analogy. Uh, sorry, I was all prepared to read the second <laughs> paragraph. So I, I'm just reading this a bit cold. Um, but when, you know, we, uh, it's about honesty. It says you have to, if you honestly want to, um, we have to honestly want to stop and to believe because this is, you know, to the agnostic. So these are people who don't, believe. I looked up agnostic and, um, you know, I always thought that it was someone who had wandered from their faith. That was what I believed. And when I looked up the definition of agnostic, it's actually someone who doesn't believe in God at all. And, you know, atheism is actual a, a, a religion, <laughs> so to speak, of, in itself. They have these, you know, beliefs about the, how the world was created and all that kind of stuff, whereas an agnostic is, is really, that's really a sad state to be in because you don't even, you don't believe in anything. And, you know, I was never, um, I was never either one of those. I just did not believe that God cared about my little food problem. And I needed this spiritual experience to conquer this problem. And even though I didn't believe it at first, I believed that the people who were recovered a few steps ahead of me believed it. And that's what I hang on to today. And, you know, that's what I offer to the newcomer or to anyone else, um, you know, who calls me, that I believe that God has good things for me. And I believe that God does not want me to go back to that abyss of overeating. And I can be sure of that. I can be sure that that is not the right answer for me or for anyone. Anyone who's addicted to anything, that is not how God wants you to live. I I can confidently say that today. And we have a solution. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much. Would anyone like to share on this first paragraph? Monica. This is this is Sally. I heard Monica, and then who was after Monica? Sally. Okay, Monica first. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are, a brand new chapter. We agnostics. And an agnostic, I have written here when I looked it up, one who believes the existence or non-existence of God cannot be proven or known, or a person unsure that God or a God exists. And I have another little definition here for the word agnostic that I really liked. And it is, without knowledge. We without knowledge. And I thought, okay, I like that, since I felt that I was a religious person. And then this paragraph here, it says, if when you honestly honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. And I said, that that sentence with like two uh, questions in there, 
were questions that I could use to help figure out if something was a binge food or not. You know, if I cannot quit it entirely, or if once I start eating it, I have little control over the amount I take, it's probably a binge food. And it goes on to say, we, we may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. You know, we've tried all our willpower, our determination, our um, self-knowledge. You know, we've tried all these other things. We've tried other people. Nothing works. And they keep telling us that we have a spiritual problem and we need a spiritual experience to help us with this. And this whole chapter is going to show us our need for God or a higher power. It's not going to try to prove to us there that he exists. It's going to try to get to us, across to us that, you know, step one, we are powerless and what's the solution if we have no power? We need a power greater than us. And with that, I shall pass. Thank you, Monica. And was it Sally next? Yes, Sally from South Jersey. Go ahead, Sally. Thank you. This is Sally from South Jersey. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I, I do believe that this chapter does require an open mind and I, too, had um, as my definition of agnostic, we agnostics, ag being without and gnostics being knowledge, so we without knowledge. And um, I think that um, when we get to this word control, which over and over again we see in every chapter this word control, and um, and this is a key word for me because I was truly a control freak in my life, except that I was out of control. I tried to control everyone and everything, and most importantly, I tried to control the food, and it was out of control, I was out of control. <clears throat> I have here written next to the word control, if when you start something and you can predict the outcome, and certainly when I started a binge, I could not predict the outcome. I had no idea of where it would end. It literally took me like a tsunami. It just swept me into its clutches and I had no idea of when and where it would end and how I would feel or look when it was over. And that is the prevailing feeling that I have when I look back over my shoulder at what I've just come out of. Um, not just, but um, recently enough that it still frightens me to think of what that was like. Um, so if when you honestly, that's a huge if, if, I mean, are you ready? Are you ready to be honest? Are you ready to put this substance down? It's a huge if. If when you honestly want to have the willingness to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking or eating, in my case, you have little control, over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Well, I figured that out when I was 22 after the birth of my son and I had just, you know, finished binging my brains out through his birth because I couldn't pick up my usual tools of fasting and being bulimic at that time. <clears throat> and so I had gained an incredible amount of weight during that pregnancy and about eight days after I gave birth to him, I laid on my kitchen floor at that time and cried out to God, and I said, honestly, having no idea that OA existed, oh, my God, Lord, you have got to help me. I am like an alcoholic with food. And so I recognized my own addiction, my own allergy of the body before I even knew that OA existed. And it was only a few days later that a friend called and invited me to OA for the first time. So it goes on to say, if that be the case, you may be suffering. Well, there is the word that really kicks me in this paragraph. You may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. You know, I have two thoughts about this sentence. First of all, suffering. You know, when my eating started, it was always fun. It was always, oh, I'm going to go get this, 
I'm going to have that. It was always with a sense of party. I'm going to party. And it never ended in the same frame of mind. And as I look over my shoulder, honestly, the word is suffering. I was suffering. I was frightened about what had really taken over like some kind of a a creature within me that would, if I kicked it awake, that it would rise up like some kind of hidden sleeping dragon within me. And that's how I see this disease, like a dragon within me that I I don't want to kick awake with the allergy. And and I'm always ever presently aware that it starts with my mind and my thinking. So I may, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And, you know, that was not an easy thing for me, even, even in my own, you know, what I thought was such a strong conviction about God. For me to accept the idea of a spiritual, that it was going to ultimately be out of my control, there's the key, out of my self-reliance, that I would have to rely on a power greater than myself was for me a very difficult thing for me to really hold on to, to grasp, to put my hand around and to take the hand of my higher power and say, okay, I don't really have much choice because I can't control this, but I'm so grateful that you're there and I'm willing to let you help me. That's where this beginning, this chapter begins with such powerful statements about what is coming. Thank you for letting me share and with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I love the simplicity here uh, that the big book offers the reader. Um, You know, oftentimes in Overeaters Anonymous, you might see a pamphlet on the table and it might list 40 questions to help you diagnose whether you're a compulsive overeater or not. Questions like, you know, have you ever eaten in a car in a dark parking lot in the middle of the night? Have you ever eaten out of a trash can? Have you ever eaten frozen food? Have you ever eaten burnt food? And the like. But the big book is presenting uh, the reader with two very clear-cut questions. Number one, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, which relates to the obsession of the mind, that you can't predictably stay away from the first drink, or for our case, the first bite. Or if when drinking, question number two, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. And, of course, that is associated with the allergy of the body, that once we ingest that substance for the alcohol, it's alcohol, of course, we have little control over her drinking once she starts to drink. Or in our case, uh, once we ingest our uh, trigger foods, our substances that, trigger the phenomenon of craving. So two very clear-cut questions. Number one, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, that speaks to the obsession of the mind, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take that uh, is associated with the allergy of the body, you are probably alcoholic. It is a self-diagnostic test. It's allowing the reader to draw his or her own conclusions, and it doesn't matter the... um, background information it doesn't matter you know whether you did it in car in the middle of the night out of the trash can out of the freezer whatever you know uh do you qualify it's very simple very simple and of course it's not the allergy but the obsession of the mind that binds you and me to overeaters anonymous What happens after the first compulsive bite is of no immediate concern, provided, of course, that you stay away from it. But the reality is that you and I, or at least for myself, a real compulsive overeater, I could not stay away from that first bite. So acceptance of powerless over the obsession of my mind and my inability to stay away from that first bite was a necessity. 
because then it made it very clear that I had a need for a vital and sustained relationship with a power greater than myself. How do I know that? Because look at the next line. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only, only, that means one, only a spiritual experience will conquer. Only a spiritual experience will conquer this disease. Only the spiritual experience will conquer the obsession of the mind. So I am suffering from an illness that only a personality change rooted in a relationship with God, rooted in a relationship with a higher power, will enable me to recover, enable me to be free. Hey, I thought this illness was about food and weight. The first paragraph is telling me something very different. A twofold illness, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, the solution is spiritual in nature. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, I love that they start us out with a reminder. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. And what did we learn? What did I learn in the preceding chapters? You know, I learned some big information about myself. If I am like these people, then I've learned some big things about myself. I learned, in the doctor's opinion, about this allergy of my body. And could I relate to that? Because it it is entirely tied in to this question that they're asking me. Can you quit? First of all, can you quit entirely? When you wanted to, could you quit entirely, Janet? And then, do you have any control over it at all? Once you pick it up, do you have any control? And remember they asked us that back in Chapter 3 and more about alcoholism? The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinking drinker. Well, that was me with food. If I honestly wanted to, if I honestly wanted to, could I control it and still enjoy it? Or when I was eating it, could I control the amount I took? You know, those questions were addressed in the preceding chapters. And I had to identify. I had to identify in order for this information to mean anything to me. So we hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. And are you one or the other? That was the question I was asking myself as I read these chapters, as we studied these chapters. Am I one or am I the other? Well, I could identify. I could identify. And the information began to grow in me. And then you bring me to this chapter, We Agnostics. And what was I without knowledge about? Well, I did not know the extent to which a higher power would enter and calm me and find me and help me. But I had to know that I was absolutely powerless over this thing that had me in its grip, but that there was a solution. And they were, they were pointing it out to me clearly, clearly, clearly. Physical craving, mental obsession, are you one of these? And if you are, guess what? There's a spiritual experience that will conquer it. That will conquer it. And I don't know about you, but I've been in battle mode for a long time. I've been in battle mode either running towards the food or running away from the food, but I was never at peace around the food. I was always in battle mode. And here they're telling me that there's going to be an experience that will conquer that, that I can lay down, that I can stop fighting, that there will be a solution. Thank you, God. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Hi, this is Sippy. Go ahead. Hi, this is Sippy from London. Um, When we talk about a spiritual, only a spiritual experience will conquer. So when I first came into 
program, it was, um, I don't need any spiritual experiences. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm religious. I try and do what God wants. Um, it doesn't mean me, this spiritual thing, you know. I've got it all. So on the other hand, why was I feeling, um, if I'm so religious and spiritual, why would I feel often um, discontent and irritable and restless? And, it, and when we t- and when I um, was in a way, when I am in a way, and we talk about God consciousness, that's what calms my restlessness. It when I bring God into my kitchen and He's with me all day, that's when I feel calm. That that's when I have serenity. But when He's up there in the heavens and I don't have any connection to Him, and um, you know I don't think about Him often, that's when I get my restlessness. So even I still needed that spiritual experiences, that the spiritual awareness that I can talk to God all day, even the silly little things of um, make the bus come quickly, or um, when I'm cooking or baking, I can pray to God, let the food come out tasty, and let my kids and husband be healthy and well, and they should enjoy the food. That's what makes me calm. And this is, um, that's my spiritual experience. Um, this is what helps me with my restlessness. Thank you. With that, I'll pause. Thank you, Sippy. Well, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kathy Kay, are you available to read that? Yes, I am, Janice. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> to one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible, but to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to faith. Um, this is Kathy. I'm a compulsive overeater, uh, recovered, and grateful to be here today. Um, and, uh, you know, it really, the alternatives were not easy for me to face. Um, when I came into the 12-step rooms, uh, I was very much identified to myself as an agnostic and I can remember uh, probably the first few times that I read these paragraphs. I just, I could not internalize them. Um, and I felt a lot of despair um, uh, with the message here, which is, you know, it's either death or it's finding a spiritual uh, basis for life. Um, and um, the way my rationalization went was to really minimize um, my disease in my head. Um, and I told myself all kinds of lies, um, like, well, I don't have a lot of weight to lose, so I'm not really as sick as the people who have uh, 100 pounds or more to lose, or... Um, all I need is the food plan and the fellowship, and I will be able to um, live in a healthy way and not compulsively overeat. Um, or uh, I can do this with everything but uh, the spiritual aspect of the program, uh, not realizing, of course, till much, much later that the entire program is a spiritual program, uh, not just one aspect of it is a spiritual program. And, um, you know, I've been around these rooms now for almost 20 years, and I, I want to say to the newcomer that um, the first time I heard this and read it, um, I almost left the rooms, um, and I think it was mainly through listening to others that I had enough hope to come back, um, and little by little uh, began to become willing to consider the possibility of 
a higher power that I could build a relationship with. And it's been an extremely slow process, but working the steps, and in particular, working the steps according to the big book study process with the big book study sponsor has enabled to build a vital connection with a higher power. And I am just so grateful today and grateful for that very small seed of willingness that got me to the rooms in the first place. Um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This no. is Kim, Melanie. I hear Kim and Melanie, and was there someone else? Rose. And then Rose. Kim, Melanie, and Rose. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. I mean, a face value, doesn't that sound ridiculous? Doesn't that sound ridiculous? That would not be an easy choice. Yeah, how many of us sit in the room for 20 years debating over that choice? Well, how bad of an alcoholic death are you talking about? I mean, come on. I mean, I'm only 80 pounds overweight. If I was 100 pounds overweight, maybe I'll do something about it. And why is that? Because this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. You know, we often go to what is familiar rather than what isn't. And I know how to be a compulsive overeater. As miserable as it is, it's comfortable. And that spiritual stuff, that scares the heck out of me. You know, I avoided this chapter for years and years. I grew up in religious schools. You can't tell me about God. But what I had to recognize was I knew religion. I didn't have a personal relationship with God, and that terrified me. That absolutely terrified me. So that's essential to be doomed to an alcoholic death. What have we been taught up to this page? We've been taught the true nature of our disease. We've been taught what an alcoholic death looks like. Bill's story was a vivid example of that turmoil that brought him to an alcoholic death where he was in the, in the town's hospital, and he said he welcomed death. I remember in my 20s going to bed and thinking, well, if I don't get up tomorrow, so what? I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live like this anymore. The thought of living like this was so painful. But at the same time, coming into OA and hearing about these steps, that seemed that much more scarier. So this is essential. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. And we addicts, we compulsive overeaters, are queens of the loopholes. As long as we think of the door number three, as long as we think we have another plan, a little design that we can do, we're not going to submit to this program. So we are smashing home over and over again. You have two choices, two choices. And you know who makes that decision? You. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Go ahead, Melanie. Hi, good morning, Janice. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Washington State. I remember these ideas when I came to this place, thinking about step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That in-between place killed me for decades. I was a bit like a rolling hazard in that um, I was excited when the prospect came because I knew how to perform in a religious environment. Um, I watched my behavior kind of go through my mind as I was thinking about the idea of this. Yet over and over and over again, I was in between. You know, the food being down, but not knowing how to access a spiritual experience because I didn't understand and I am excited in that this particular big book study has taught me that this is, an, this is a journey, the experiences happen and expand every day, that it's continual and then the phone conversations that I have with people remind me that 
came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, and that is an idea that is progressive with each day. And I likened it to the idea that um, I came in knowing so very little, and I was breaking out of a out of a cell of it, you know, an egg, and it's difficult to do that. But each step and each place got me a little bit closer in that spiritual experience. And what what I'm talking about is breaking through the ideas in my mind, breaking through the character defects of defiance and denial and, and rebelliousness, those kinds of things, or, or the uh, rising up against authority, all those things that needed to come up through. And um, my prayer time continued to remind me that, and the fellows continued to remind me that, and so I was able to be free. It's like that idea of, you know, I come in and decide I wanted to play, you know, a concert in Carnegie Hall immediately because that's the where, that's where I go to with everything. But I had to start out with, just, you know, just very, very painfully as myself as to the listener playing chopstick on the piano before I could get there, and it was constant on a daily basis, practicing, practicing, practicing. But I needed to have that prayer meditation. I needed that fellowship, those calls with those people to remind me to continue to cut through my thinking, my thinking, my thinking. Um, and I just want to share that in case anybody else is in that same place. Thanks, Adela Pass. Thank you, Melanie. Go ahead, Rose. Thank you, Janice. This is Rose, recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And um, this uh, this paragraph is uh, speaks to me so very loudly from my own personal experience, um, which is essentially and briefly. I definitely was um, in the categories of being an atheist in actuality because I did not have any use for God when I came to the program. <clears throat> I was separated from uh, anything to do with a God. I, um, and I was definitely in an agnostic category as well. So needless to say, when I arrived at OA, um, I had religious practices, but they were of no use to me either. So I never uh, was able to absorb step two in the beginning. And also um, I qualified as a hopeless, <clears throat> excuse me, variety compulsive overeater. And that was evident from when I when I arrived at OA. Um, but due to the fact, and then when it came to the word uh, 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 spiritual experience, it says uh, to one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic such an experience a spiritual experience that that was like on another planet i mean that was so if i was a college graduate but the the realm of the spirit was not anything that i could relate to it it uh frightened me and it uh conjured up all kinds of ideas <clears throat> of ignorance truthfully i i had nothing no knowledge about it so the idea of um that that experience seemed seems impossible was quite true for me, but to continue as I was meant disaster, especially if you were uh compulsive or free of the hopeless variety. but the last sentence to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face, and my experience with that uh last year, which was when the, after also being in the rooms for decades, um, was that it was from going from uh, uh, giving up, uh, testing that personal control for myself, finally giving it up, not out of my own virtue, but from God's gift of utter desperation. There were no more loopholes for Rose. There were no more loopholes for Rose. And the black pit looked like it was going to swallow me up, except a thought came through um, of knowing a person who had recovered. Maybe there was some hope for somebody who had been around for 39 years who uh, thought they had the program, which I didn't. And I found myself like um, the man who, after 25 years, free of his alcoholic substance, I had been free of a, one of my binge foods for a long time, and that food came back into action. And I was terrorized, 
with no control. I made one phone call and said, can you help me? And I think, I believe one day at a time, every shred of my self-sufficiency was then uh, smashed enough at that point for me to accept the help of how once again to get abstinent and then through God's loving grace here remain abstinent and crossing that threshold from not believing into believing um, is what the gift of uh, this second step has come into my Thank you, Rose. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I just wanted to comment on this paragraph because it it speaks to me so clearly of a place that I had to get to. You know, if you are an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. You know, I love that these first 100 recovered alcoholics didn't mince words. You know, they didn't mince words, and they laid it out really clearly, really clearly. You know, it... To one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, the experience must seem impossible. You know, but people in whom the problem had been solved were the ones carrying this message. People who had the experience that I had. They also had found themselves desperate, doomed, and finally done. You know, and that's what they're talking about, I believe, in this paragraph. They found themselves unable to stop. They found themselves, when they did stop, unable to stop themselves from starting again. And it happened over and over and over again. So much so that the physical consequences and the mental torture of that brought them to this place where they felt doomed, where they felt doomed. And I've heard that Bill W.'s experience in Towns Hospital started with a question, if there is a God, that's what Bill W. said came to him when he was feeling desperate and doomed. He said, if there is a God, show yourself. You know, he didn't say, I know there is this higher power, I know there is this God of my understanding, and I'm in need of this God. He said, if there is a God, You know, maybe you're at the same place that I was where I was desperate and I was doomed and I was done and I needed help and I knew I needed help and someone in whom the problem had been solved had carried this message, this message of depth and weight and showed me that they had found this spiritual experience, showed me that they had found this solution and that there was a process, a process of the 12 steps that brought them to this spiritual awakening, that allowed them to find this God of their understanding. So they're laying laying the place for me, laying the path out for me, showing me that they know it's not always an easy alternative to faith. But what was my alternative? To go on to the bitter end? Because a bitter end was in sight. A bitter end was in sight but I needed help. And they'd laid it out in the preceding chapters exactly who I was and what I was up against. And now they were going to give me the process. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible But to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Um, You know, I think someone had mentioned earlier that we agnostics means we without knowledge. And I certainly was without knowledge. I had no knowledge of God because I had never tried to use God in my life. You know, I just ran my own show and used my intellect to make decisions and, uh, you know, 
stood on my own two feet and ruled my own destiny. And, you know, <laughs> that's just the way I went and, and uh, my best thinking. We lost you, Leah. Press star one. Thank you. My best thinking got me to a place of disaster. I had no knowledge of God uh, because I never tried to use God in my life. It says to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. You're right. There is no door number three. I mean, door number one is death, you know, to continue to eat myself into oblivion. Uh, and kill myself with my own fist under the guise of seeking the ease and comfort, or door number two to live on a spiritual basis. There is no door number three. You know, I do see humor in this. Are not always easy alternatives to face. That's funny to me. Uh, it reminds me of this old comedic skit where uh, this comedian Jack Benny is approached by a masked man uh, you know, with a, and places a gun to Jack Benny's head and says, your money or your life. And there's a long, long, long pause as Jack Benny contemplates whether to dig into his pocket and pull out some cash for this masked man or, you know, uh, or to give up his life. And that's, it's the same kind of thing. You know, my choice is narrowed down to either relying on some power greater than myself or being doomed to a compulsive overeater's death. And ironically, uh, you know, it was not my intellect or any great debate uh, that convinced me. Ironically, it was uh, Captain Crunch and a few of his buddies, uh, more than anything else, that readied me to embrace this spiritual remedy. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew going into this process was that my life was on the line. You know, that's all I knew. I had no idea where this unseen, unknown, untouchable presence was going to be. Because I had never, I had never had a relationship. <laughs> I had never really been introduced properly. You know, having no idea what to expect, someone sat across the table from me, cracked open these very same pages, and brought this book to life for me. And having no idea what to expect in spite of my own extremely crippled belief system, I just took that paradise, I didn't know what game we were about to play, and I threw them out on the board. And I took a leap. <laughs> and I took a leap. And you know what? I began by deciding to base my life on the assumption that if it's in the big book, it's true as far as I'm concerned. And that eliminated massive, massive amounts of doubt and uncertainty for me. You know, the big book doesn't try to prove the existence of God. It just convinces you and does a great job of it. It convinces you of the need for God. And if the big book isn't doing enough of a good job convincing you, well, perhaps your disease will. And that's exactly what happened for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I'd like to share. This is Sally. Yes. Yeah. I'm Yvonne. Go ahead, Sally. Thank and you. And then Yvonne. This is Sally again from South Jersey. We covered. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. When I got to this chapter in the book, I wanted to skip it. I thought I, I got that. That's not a problem. No problem. I've got a great relationship with God. In fact, we were like thick as thieves. I had all the practices that I really believed I was supposed to be doing. I was getting up at 5 a.m., praying. I um, had a prayer partner. I had, you know, I just had all the trappings of a relationship with God. And I really believed that I did not need this chapter, that, you know, I could skip this. And, um, you know, I look back and I just I marvel at what I was doing because I, I have come to realize what I was doing. I would go in prayer. I would put my little bricks of my of the things I worried about in my life and, and my prayers. 
I put them into a basket and I walk up to to God and I pray the prayers and I put the bricks down and then I put the bricks back in my little basket and walk away because I was so self-reliant. I did not even get the idea of God-reliance. I played God as a child and I played God as an adult. Um, In fact, when I was making my list of character flaws with my sponsor at step six, I... I, my sponsor said to me, you're going to have to add one to that list. And I just said, oh, really? What is it? And she said, playing God. And I, it was true. It was like it should have been the top of my list was that I played God. And so this is a very tough thing for me to be able to, to really tease out myself from my relationship with God because I really – thought that I had this great relationship, and I didn't. In fact, I didn't really have much of a relationship with God because I really didn't let God be God. That was a bottom line for me. Living on a spiritual basis, I thought I was doing that. That's what made this really hard for me was it was like I was such a, it was a quandary. Like, why isn't, why isn't this working? It's not working, Sally, because yourself is on the throne, and that's what's going to have to change here. I was powerless, and that was a tough place, you know, for somebody who plays God to be because I needed something with power to help me with this mental, this mental obsession that was going on in my mind. And, and to honestly, that was the scary part about we agnostics for me was I thought I had it sewn up, but I knew down deep something was wrong with how I was relating to my God. And in truth, it was. There was. My spiritual experience had to change. And so for those of you who may identify with me, I just want to say that you're going to have to do what I did. You're going to have to set aside what you think you know about your higher power. You're going to have to set aside what you think your relationship really is. And you're going to have to have an open mind as you continue on with this chapter. Thank you for letting me share, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. And Yvonne. Hi, this is Yvonne from um, Florida, and I'm a recovering um, compulsive overeater. And when I walked into um, the rooms and they were studying the big book, um, I just felt like, what could you guys do for me? Because I do have a relationship with God, very much like how Sally um, shared her story, and you know, I was every day. I mean, I had a, a contact with God, and um, was very involved in um, religious activities, and and I just didn't get, you know, what can OA do for me? Um, I really felt even more hopeless hearing what the answer was, because I thought, well, I have that, and I'm still a compulsive overeater. And the particular day that I walked into a meeting that was not a a regular meeting that I attended, um, they were reading on page 93 in the big book. And it actually says, um, it's about working with others, and it says, your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. And that was me. I felt like, you know, I was spiritual and maybe... Other people were not, but I am. And it says, in that case, he is going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seems to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. And then I'll skip down. It says, Admit that he probably knows more about um, religion than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. And that, I just sat there in that meeting going, oh my gosh, God just answered my problem. There is something insufficient about my faith with God or I would not still be eating. I would not still be getting drunk on food. And, you know, I still haven't gotten it. I'm still not recovered. I feel like I'm in the process. 
but that was the most eye-opening um, spiritual awakening experience that I've had in the room so far. And I just wanted to share that for anyone else who is like me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, we'll close the meeting here. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Thank you especially to Katie for getting us started this morning. Thank you to uh, Diane and Meg for reading the steps and traditions and for everyone who shared this morning. Thank you all for your help. Now, whoever cares to, would you please, or, or I'm sorry, we'll do the um, uh, reading from the big book on page 164. And Esther, could you read that for us? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.